You're listening to Ocean Currents, a podcast brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. This show was originally broadcast on KWMR in Point Reyes Station, California. Thanks for listening. And welcome to another edition of Ocean Currents. I'm your host, Jennifer Stock. On this show, we talk with scientists, educators, explorers, policymakers, ocean enthusiasts, adventurers, authors, and more, all uncovering and learning about the mysterious and vital part of our planet, the blue ocean. I bring this show to you monthly from NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, one of four national marine sanctuaries in California, all working to protect unique and biologically diverse ecosystems. Cordell Bank is just offshore of the KWMR listening radius off the Marin-Sonoma coast and is a thriving ocean metropolis from seafloor to surface. So today I'm going to be talking with two authors who are coming to Point Reyes in person on August 22nd, a Saturday, for a Meet the Author reception, and it is a benefit for the Turtle Island Restoration Network. I'll tell you more about that event later, but our two guests are Wallace J. Nichols, who is an ocean advocate, sea turtle biologist, and speaker of all things blue. And his book is called Blue Mind, The Surprising Science That Shows How Being Near, In, On, or Underwater Can Make You Happier, Healthier, More Connected, and Better at What You Do. And that was published in 2014 and just came out in paperback. And also joining us will be James Nestor who is a journalist based in San Francisco and author of several articles and books, but most recently published Deep, Freediving, Renegade Science, and What the Ocean Tells Us About Ourselves, published in 2014. And this is a book that looks at freediving itself, but also deep water exploration and our history as humans probing the deep, which is really, really interesting. So when we come back, we'll get started talking with our guests. This is Jennifer Stock, and you're tuned into Ocean Currents. And on this show today, we're diving into the blue mind and talking a bit about the things about the ocean that we think and feel and experience when we're near or underwater. And I'm really excited to bring on our guests today, Wallace J. Nichols and James Nestor, who I brought up live on the air. You're both live on the air. You're with us. Hi there. Hey. Thanks. Great. So we've got Wallace J. Nichols down in Santa Cruz and James Nestor in of San Francisco. So thank you so much for joining me today on the air and talking a little bit about this these wonderful books that you've written and about one of my favorite topics, the ocean. Jay, I want to start with you. You've had a long relationship with the ocean and as a biologist have worked with sea turtles and fishermen and earlier in your career and to this day. And along the path, you drew yourself to explore the effect of water, any body of water, that um, the effect it has on humans, and wrote this book, Blue Mind. How did, how did this path come for you to go from a lot of the biology and working with fishermen to looking more at the cognitive effects of the ocean? Yeah, well, I think like a lot of people who work for the ocean uh, or for any body of water or work for nature in general, you, you at some point realize that a big part of the work is about human behavior and about nudging people towards 
more sustainable habits and lifestyles and uh, away from the things that, that wreck the place. And that the science, you know, the hard science in terms of, you know, tracking sea turtles or measuring fish populations uh, is useful, but um, runs its course at a certain point. And I kind of noticed that people respond favorably to their experiences with water, whether it's lakes or rivers or oceans. And I thought that there would be a book about that uh, in the library. So I went to check it out, uh, and it wasn't there, uh, not because somebody had checked it out, but because nobody had written it yet. And I started looking around for somebody who would be willing to write it and was unsuccessful uh, in convincing uh, anyone else to write it. So if, you know, by default, I think it's the third piece of the story is uh, I sat down and, and started to write it, and it, it took about five years and uh, a big a big chunk of my life. And um, but we got it done, and there are a lot of great stories and uh, the work of of some fascinating psychologists and neuroscientists uh, who have wrestled with uh, these questions, uh, sometimes tangentially uh, and sometimes more directly. And you know, the name of the book is Blue Mind, and it's about how water. Uh, makes us feel and it helps our lives um, be be more interesting and uh, and through that I got you know interested in in the work and the writing of of James Nestor, who's become a friend uh, through the process and and his interest in what happens to our our bodies uh, when we go underwater. so that that nexus, that connection uh, is is a clear one, yeah. Well, I think what's really neat is, uh, Jay, we have a lot of Jays on this show, so hopefully I can get these all straight. But, um, Jay, your book really kind of is about the big picture water, and I almost kind of view it as near the surface and being on top of it and right under it. But, James, yours goes deeper, and it's interesting. I'm kind of interested to explore the differences between the surface and the deep with these impacts. But, James, coming back to you with your book, Deep, which I had a great chance to go through a lot this weekend, and I really can't wait to read the whole thing through. But you, as a journalist, you've covered a wide myriad of topics, written several books. And how did you find yourself immersed literally in this topic of ocean freediving? Well, just like Jay, it was kind of like a happy accident for me. I've been a journalist for a long time writing magazine stories, and I was sent by Outside Magazine uh, a few years ago to cover something called the World Freediving Championship in Kalamata, Greece. And uh, I didn't know too much about freediving. I had never done it, didn't know anyone who did do it. And I was out there watching the first day of this championship and just absolutely had my mind blown. Um, these guys, on a single breath there, were diving down 350 feet on dives that lasted four minutes. And it was just absolutely stunning to me that the human body was capable of this. So I came back home to San Francisco and started researching, and it turned out that we not only have these mammalian dive reflexes, these amphibious abilities, but also many other abilities we share with oceanic animals. So one thing led to uh, the other, and uh, next thing I knew, I was uh, writing the book Deep. Um, And uh, it just sort of took me on this journey through many different places, through different depths. It starts at the surface and goes to the very bottom of the ocean. It was quite a whirlwind trip, but, uh, but very fun. Were you much of a water person prior to this assignment? Yeah, I spent my life in the ocean. Um, 
uh, the ocean surface, surfing and body surfing and swimming. And that's just such a huge part of my life. But I never had really explored what happened beneath the surface, both to the mind and to the body. So this was my really my first voyage into that whole other universe below and um, our connection to it. Wonderful. And you actually spent quite a bit of time learning how to free dive throughout the process of this book, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, my uh, entree free diving was at this competition. Um, and I don't know if too many people out there know about free diving competitions, but people basically dare one another to see how deep they can dive on a single breath. And if that sounds dangerous, because it really is. It was the craziest. It was both awe-inspiring but completely crazy um, what these people were doing. And a lot of them didn't make the dives. They came up unconscious or bloody or worse. And that part completely freaked me out. I, I thought it was kind of a shame that these people had honed their bodies to do this incredible thing and were only using it, you know, to get a little plastic medal at the end of a competition. So, Luckily, I learned a different kind of freediving, people who accept it more as a meditation uh, or as a yogic practice. And it's with those people that I learned how to dive. And it's that discipline that uh, I focus on in the book. So it, it took me a long time, mostly not, not physically, because we can all do this. Anyone in decent health can go down 100, 200 feet, no problem. But uh, mentally, I just had those pictures of people, you know, coming up, not making their dives in my head and had to replace those with with better ones. And uh, that took a few months. It's kind of interesting. There's quite a nexus there in terms of the two different fields of freediving, the competitive one that's maybe quite the opposite use of the brain than the one that's looking to experience underwater. How do those two come together? It seems like one is like hardcore, comp- competitive, the other one more Zen. How do I'm kind of curious about that nexus. Well, the the Japanese divers, the AMA, have been doing this for two thousand years, and they use it to harvest food from the seafloor, be it abalone, oysters, or whatever. Um, and there's no record, and and the records are actually pretty thorough of them ever having an accident, ever having a problem. And uh, I was able to find these. Japanese divers who really respect their place and their bodies in the ocean, respect that the ocean is a very powerful thing, and dove with them. And one of them was uh, 83 years old, and she had been diving every day since she was 15. So to me, that just kind of proved that this could be a safe, great way of exploring the ocean, you know, as long as you approach it in a safe and respectable manner. Um, And I think Westerners, you know, we're we're very competitive, Uh, just about ridiculous things. so uh, we just kind of appropriated this this beautiful meditative um, process and, um, you know, just tried to see how far we could go and, and not die. And um, unfortunately, a lot of competitive divers do die uh, because they push their bodies way past the limit um, that we're supposed to go. So, again, um, it's the, the competitive part of freediving didn't appeal to me too much. I, I really focused on that other side of freediving for deep. Right. Well, that's great. Um, with Blue Mind J, I'm curious, you know, a lot of us think very intrinsically. We go to the sea, we calm ourselves. It's very much a relaxing thing. And your questions were we're really looking at why. Why is that happening? And I'm curious if you can shed some light on some of the neurological findings that you've discovered through the process of writing your book about 
the effect of the water on our brains. Yeah, sure. Sure. The, I mean, the idea is very intuitive, and I think it's it's an ancient idea. You know, look look through through art and poetry and prose for the past thousands of years, and you'll find references to what what I would describe as a blue mind. That going to the edge of the water is is a place to calm yourself, to experience reverence, uh, to boost your creativity, to get closer to those you care about. Uh, and the question about why is you know, less well-known. But to best understand blue mind, is probably good to understand uh, what we refer to as red mind, which is you know, the, the agitated, um, stimulated, uh, information-rich existence that we all are increasingly a part of, where you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is reach for your, your smartphone, and the last thing you do at the end of a busy day is put down your smartphone and close your eyes, and your day is full of uh, deadlines and maybe traffic and emails and tweets and text messages and um, just, you know, full of information coming at you. Uh, when you step away from that and you put down the devices and the screens and walk towards the water, and even as we have this conversation, you can probably start to imagine it, and it may even influence the way you feel uh, while you're listening, uh, you you start to give up all the language input and all the visual stimulation. When you get to the edge of the water, the sound that's coming in into your brain is is simplified. It's the sound of water rather than the sound of voices and honking horns. Visually, the input is simplified. It's it's the horizon and it's it's the surface of the water. So your visual centers. Your auditory centers get a break. Now, when you get into the water, assuming the water is, is comfortable and safe, uh, you also give up uh, gravity. And your body, your brain is doing a lot of work uh, all day long to position yourself relative to gravity uh, in, a, in a useful um, orientation. You're using hundreds of muscles to do that. And you really don't think about that very much, but it, it takes brain capacity. So now you've given up gravity, you've given up the visual input, you've given up the auditory input, at least simplified it, and your brain has all this capacity to do something different. And it, it doesn't turn off, it switches to what's referred to as the default mode or the default mode network, which is much better at, at insight, uh, at um, calm, contemplative thinking. Uh, for some, it's, it's the place of innovation. It's the, the aha moments. Um, mind-wandering uh, or daydreaming uh, occurs in this mode. And so that's what you're feeling, that, that stepping away from the office, stepping out of the car, away from your, your device, and getting out to the edge of the water. Now, you can turn your red mind back on, and maybe you enter into a freediving competition or a big wave surfing competition or uh, a jet ski competition, and you're on the water and now you're back into red mind hyperstimulation mode. Uh, and so the two kind of go back and forth. But that, that blue mind, that state of blue mind, uh, which can be activated you know, by any kind of water, um, is, is a big part of our lives from, from beginning to end. And it, the recognition that it's, it's not just a touchy-feely, woo-woo, kind of Santa Cruz-y thing. It's a... Um, it's neurochemistry and, uh, and something that we, if we understand it better, 
uh, we can harness it as a, a force for good, as a force for creativity, as something that brings us closer to those we care about uh, and improves our health. That's great. For those tuning in, this is Ocean Currents, and I'm speaking with uh, two authors, Jay Nichols, author of Blue Mind, and James Nestor. And we are talking about the effects of the water on us. And I wanted to just take a moment here to share some voices of folks. I, I wanted to ask my community members what they feel like when they're underwater. And they shared some perspectives and a little bit of blue, a little bit of red. So I'm going to play this track really quick so you can all hear what we all think of being underwater. How do you feel when you're underwater? Peaceful. <laughs> Nervous. Maybe flying or near death, one or the other. Blissful. Like I'm floating. Excited. Serene. I feel like swimming. Wet. The world is finally still. Curious. Relaxed. Uh, like a shark. Depending on quality of water, but if I'm in clean water, I feel great. And it's just so peaceful, and it feels like flying. I love it. I feel like an explorer. Peaceful. I feel like a fish. Mm, swimming. At peace. Throwing the toy out and swimming with the teacher to go get it. Therapeutic. Ready to explore. Trapped. Out of water. I love it. Peaceful, if I'm not cold. <laughs> So that's just a few folks in the neighborhood that were sharing their perspectives on water. And it, it's fun to kind of ask that question and, and not know what their response is going to be. Um, James, how about for you? When we go down deep in terms of the impacts of the water and the pressure and going down, what are some of the physiological and um, psychological things that happen when you go down deep? Well, I think Jay touched on, on some of the psychological things, or neurophysiological things, and that's why uh, I enjoyed his book so much. Um, I have been, like, really struggling with how to describe the experience of freediving because it is was just so absolutely calm and peaceful, and all those adjectives uh, everyone was just mentioning in the tape you just played. Um, and then I found the scientific reasons for that, you know, in Jay's book. And I was just like, every single page, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes <laughs> sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. So, um, but what I explore in, in deep a little bit is the physiological connection to the water and how our bodies completely transform when we enter the water. And the deeper we go, the more pronounced that transformation becomes. Um, it becomes so pronounced that at very deep depth, we uh, hardly resemble our terrestrial selves. Like, we, we change that much. It's the most powerful transformation that we can naturally experience. Um, and part of that is the mammalian dive reflex, which what it does is it allows us to dive deeper for longer um, than we would be able to do on land. And uh, the second you splash cold water on your face, your heart rate's going to drop about 25% um, of its normal resting rate. And so the old, you know, tradition of splashing water on your face to calm you down isn't just 
psychological, it's physiological. The deeper you go, more of these transformations occur. Um, blood will start rushing in from your extremities into your core. Your lungs will engorge with plasma. And all of these things protect our bodies from the crushing pressures of the deep water. If we didn't have these reflexes, we wouldn't be able to dive deep. We would die or be crushed. But we share these reflexes with dolphins and whales and seals and other marine mammals. And um, it's absolutely fascinating when you first start freediving to feel your body changing. Everyone is born with these reflexes. We're, we're literally born to do this stuff. And to feel that is to reconnect with the ocean and to, you know, who we are, like our true human potential. And um, I think that we've really forgotten that in the past hundred years or so. Uh, Freediving was uh, hugely popular around the world for thousands and thousands of years. If you live near the water, there was a good chance that people were freediving very deep. Um, so it's just really fascinating to me to both learn about that history, learn about our physiology, and then feel all of these reflexes happen in my own body, and then to be able to understand what was, what was going on. I imagine you really need to set your mind at ease to know that your body is going to be able to do this. But for me, I just would think I'd panic. I mean, how do you get past that panic? <laughs> well, that's, that is another thing that I really loved about freediving. Jay was talking about how as you walk towards the water, you stop thinking about all the minutiae in your day-to-day life. You start you know, opening yourself up in many different ways, opening your, your ears to the sound of the the rushing waves, and uh, that experience happens uh, immediately in in the water. And you can't do this stuff if you're stressed out. And that's what I loved about it. It was a forced meditation for me. If you're thinking about a bunch of different things and you've just had a bunch of coffee and you're stressed out about work, you just can't free dive. You won't be able to get down five, ten feet. You really have to empty your mind, really tune into yourself, and um, relax. Uh, The more we tense up our muscles when we dive, the more oxygen we're going to use up, the less deep we can go. We can't stay under the water very long if we do that. So you have to completely let go and sort of submit to the water and and go with it. And uh, that's what I really like with it. I mean, it's one thing to meditate, uh, you know, on a cushion, um, in your house, uh, which is something I try to do as often as I can. But it's another thing to do that, have that experience in the water. Just for me, it was much more pronounced and profound experience to do it in the water. I understand now why you describe freediving as underwater yoga. It sounds like you can get there. <laughs> same, same thing. And uh, the breathing techniques are the exact same. That's how you oxygenate your body through Um, pranayama, breath work, um, before you free dive. So there's so many similarities. That's so neat. Um, Jay, I was thinking about when you're talking about uh, the studies of the brain and sight, and one of the things I'm curious about specifically, has there been studies about just smell and the, the olfactory senses? I know for me that when I go to the beach, I just learned that the smell I'm smelling is actually dimethyl sulfide, which is just decaying algae. And I just love that smell. It just brings me away to where I want to be. And I'm curious if there's been studies just on smell without sight or 
Yeah, there's some you know, fascinating research on brain, on smell, and, and how the human brain um, responds to different, different kinds of smells. But I think it's important also to understand that there's the biological component, there's our, our, you know, our neurological and genetic response to the world around us. Then there's also the cultural component that sets the stage and is, is also an important way uh, to describe how we respond to water. And then the third part is our own experience. So there's your, your personal component. And so if you have a positive experience with a certain smell, uh, and then that smell is important within your the cultural environment, and biologically your body is having a positive response to it, and that's going to be a, a pretty pretty important uh, stimuli uh, for you throughout your life. Um, for some people, they associate the smell of the ocean with, with some negative, and, and I feel pretty sad for them because when they go to the beach and they smell it, they, they're not tuned in. They're, they want to they go away. Uh, so it, it's kind of subjective. Um, while there is a, a neurological basis to our sense of smell. That's really important. That's a good point about um, the building of memory with all those different components as part of that. You know, you brought up something there that uh, was one of my questions because um, many years ago with some environmental education we were working on, we were interviewing people about their experiences with the, with the ocean. And um, I didn't complete these interviews, but some other folks did. And some of them were very painful because their ancestors had traveled on a boat and experienced loss or there's there's a lot of people out there that don't have the the beautiful experiences that we do and I'm wondering is there a way to reverse that in our minds to be able to in their minds to become a little bit more safer in their mind with the ocean Absolutely it's a you know it takes time though so we're, when you understand the behavior change is, is often uh, a a slow rewiring uh, literally, of the neurological pathways, uh, you you can do it better. So if your goal is to help people fall in love with the ocean and they're beginning from a place of, of deep-seated fear that's been supported um, through the way they've grown up and what people around them have said uh, through imagery uh, and maybe even through personal scary experiences, you need to unpack all of that and, and start slowly and that may be begin with learning to swim. That may begin with, uh, in you know, an urban waterway or a domesticated <clears throat> domesticated waterway, such as a, a swimming pool or a tub. Uh, and in, uh, I imagine Jay has had this experience in in taking the the book Blue Mind around this past year. Uh, I've asked groups of people if, uh, if they if there's anybody in the room who has never been underwater. And I'm surprised uh, that that there are, and sometimes quite a few people who who have never ever been submerged uh, outside of their bathroom. And that's a that's part of the process. If you've never been underwater, uh, then you probably don't know how to swim. And if you don't know how to swim, the ocean can seem pretty scary. Rivers and lakes seem kind of daunting. Uh, so they're you know, falling in love with the ocean uh, may begin with simply uh, putting your feet in it, um, learning to swim at a, at a public pool, um, getting comfortable with the feeling of putting your face underwater uh, at all and holding your breath just for a few seconds. 
and then working from there. And so I think in our work for the ocean, uh, we should lock arms and hands uh, with those who are, are simply helping people get from maybe their urban or suburban existence uh, out to the water and to touch it maybe for the first time. It's an important part of, part of the, the process. Along those lines, you've uh, wrote a, many stories in your book about uh, helping people that are in chronic pain or they have loss of limbs, working with veterans. And I'm wondering if you can share a story or two of some folks that you've worked with where they come to the ocean to experience some therapy and get yeah, some pleasure. Ma- yeah, many many people experience uh, their their wild waters therapeutically in in many different ways. And one of the one of the stories I told in the book. And uh, about a man named Bobby Lane, who joined James and I at a conference in Washington, D.C. this spring, a Blue Mind conference. And Bobby came and told his story, and uh, he, he served as a Marine uh, in Afghanistan and uh, experienced um, IEDs, you know, broken bombs at close range uh, and, and several times, and returned from duty with uh, pretty severe post-traumatic stress. Um, and he lives in Texas, uh, wasn't really interested in continuing his life. It was that, that difficult. Uh, he couldn't sleep, hadn't slept in a very long time, uh, was trying all kinds of other medications, prescriptions, self-medicating with drugs and alcohol, and his life was kind of falling apart. And he got hooked up with an organization called Operation Surf that brought him out to Santa Cruz and, uh, with a, another a group of people, and he went through surf lessons and uh, caught his third wave. And uh, from that vantage on the surfboard uh, at Cowles, he um, decided he wanted to live uh, and had his aha moment and decided he wanted to help people experience the feeling he was experiencing in that moment. And you know, still lives in Texas, but makes regular trips to California, uh, speaks on behalf of um, these kinds of programs. And he said, when we were in D.C. together, he said, I'm, I'm trained as a warrior. Uh, I'm trained very well uh, by our, the U.S. government to be a warrior. Uh, and now I'm an ocean warrior. And I'm the guy you want on your team because you know, I can literally blow through walls. So it reminded me that we, we need to expand our conversation to be more inclusive, to invite uh, people with, with all kinds of abilities and backgrounds to engage with, with the ocean, engage, engage with the waterways, and invite them to be part of the team uh, that, that works and fights for their protection and restoration. And uh, he's an inspiring guy and, and quite brave in ways that uh, I think he um, didn't imagine that he, he would be. Uh, so people like Bobby are, are um, now on the ocean team. That's great. Um, <clears throat> James, I wanted to explore. There's a little bit of background noise, I think. Yeah, that's a guy in my backyard deciding to redo his house <laughs> right now. Oh, so not to run up upstairs. Um, but I will stay on this line and try to talk and walk at the same time and see what happens. Okay. Well, I actually wanted to ask you another question um, about how your research about free diving led you to a topic of what you call renegade science. And I was wondering if you could explore that, explain that a little bit with us. What type of renegade science is happening? 
Well, yeah, that was one of the really neat things I discovered early on before I even decided to write the book was that people were not only using free diving for just recreational purposes to explore the ocean, to explore their connection to the ocean, but they were using it to study um, animals in the ocean. And by free diving, they were able to get closer than anyone else had really been able to get with these animals. If you look at something like a whale, a sperm whale, a blue whale, dolphins, even sharks, these animals are extremely shy. They swim away from scuba. They hate submarines. They don't like robots. But when you free dive with them, uh, something amazing happens is this whole paradigm shift occurs where instead of swimming away from you, they swim towards you. And often they'll envelop you within their pods for hours and hours and hours. So this turns out to be an amazing way of conducting um, research on animals, especially sperm whales and dolphins, because what happens sometimes when you're in their pods is they start sending out their not only echolocation clicks, but communication clicks. In essence, I know this sounds like some crazy New Age dream, but this is all true stuff. Um, you know, they're, they're introducing themselves um, to us. And uh, we have this all recorded, you know, 40 hours of, of video of these experiences. And um, no one really has uh, been able to have these experiences because uh, no other uh, researchers have uh, dared to free dive with their subjects. Wow. And so that was, uh, that ended up taking up <laughs> a lot of my time. And um, that was sort of the, the chalice of, of free diving that kept me inspired to do it, not only because I loved it, but. I really wanted to free dive with sperm whales and be clicked with their communication clicks. And um, not to give away the book, but something does happen uh, similar to that in the book. That's amazing. For folks tuning in, you're listening to KWMR Ocean Currents, talking with Jay Nichols, author of Blue Mine, and James Nestor, author of Deep. And I... I am aware, you know, with the echolocation, I can't imagine being in the water with sperm whales. I've been in the water and dolphins have swam by and I've felt the echolocation in my neck and it was amazing. And I, I mean, a sperm whale is so much bigger. And do you feel it? Do you hear it? Or what is? how is it different since they're so much bigger? Well, their clicks, um, I think they're about 100 times louder than dolphin clicks. They're so, sons, um yeah. They they can be heard, um, they can hear each other hundreds, literally hundreds of miles away in the ocean. Um, these clicks, if they decided to, uh, they could not only blow out our eardrums, but vibrate our bodies to death. But um, again, it's all about that letting go process. These are extremely intelligent animals. If they wanted to kill us, they could come up and chomp us with their eight-inch long teeth at any time. But uh, instead, you know, these things are 60 feet long. They weigh around 150,000 pounds. Um, that whole process, that whole paradigm shift I mentioned um, a little while ago, uh, you feel that happening. Um, they, they are extremely gentle when they approach. They start clicking you. And to answer your question, um, <laughs> you can certainly feel it. Uh, your chest vibrates after a while. Uh, <laughs> it feels like your body is heating up. Um, um, it's just like a CT scan. They're with their echolocation. Um, they're able to actually not only peer on the outside of our bodies, but 
but it pierces inside of your body. So they can actually literally have x-ray vision of you. And that's why we think they're so gentle and so curious around humans. They see our large brain. They see that we have lungs. We have this weird stuff called hair that they have never seen in the ocean. And um, so that's why they let us into their little groups. That's amazing. So you got to dive in the water with them, which you write about yeah. in the book. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I had to train for a long time, and uh, we went out to Sri Lanka and finally had um, experience out there. And I just heard from one of the main scientists, and um, he just had a four-hour-long interaction in, in Mauritius and has documented the whole thing. And, um, you know, this is – I am i didn't just drop this research once uh, I finished the book and move on to something else. Uh, I'm more in it right now than I've ever been, including free diving and the free diving science. And uh, they're making this incredible progress with trying to translate these communication clicks and understand what they're saying. Amazing. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the application of this in the bigger picture. And you've both touched on this a little bit. But, um, Jay, wh- what are you feeling and thinking about in terms of the application of these findings towards um, helping to be part of the movement for change to improve our world? One of the, I think, the most immediate and easiest way to apply Blue Mind ideas in this, this conversation is in all of the great programs that we, we're already doing. So we move a lot of kids to the coast, to the ocean, to the lakes and the rivers, and we teach them a lot of amazing things about what lives in the tide pools and who eats the limpets and what the limpets eat and how the tides work and, and you know, basic ocean ecology. And then we move them back to their, you know, their urban or their, their terrestrial dry locations. And we forget to talk to them about themselves. We forget to mention that that experience at the ocean can be incredibly transformative, that it can shift their brain into a different mode, and that that can be useful uh, for them as, as students, as artists, as musicians, as engineers and scientists, as leaders, uh, as lovers, as citizens, uh, we forget to mention that you know going and sitting by the water could help them stay in school, uh, in some cases help them stay at jail, help them stay or get into a relationship, help them keep their job, help them excel at their job uh, if they use it that way. And we don't mention that uh, hardly ever in our, in our program. So uh, at no additional cost, we could offer that basic you know, Blue Mind 101 information to uh, all of the outdoor environmental educators in the state, across the country, around the world, and help them add that to their to their teaching. And I think that would that would go a long way towards um, creating a bigger, broader, more diverse movement of people who fall more deeply in love with their oceans and waters, and understand. Um, what's going on on a completely different level. And to kind of bring that home, we did a a short film uh, with the musician Pharrell Williams about the ocean, and and he starts off saying, I owe my music, I owe my creativity, I owe my rhythm to the ocean. He grew up in Virginia Beach by the ocean, and would go to the ocean to get uh, inspired, to, to fall in love, to get creative, and he, owes, he says he owes his career as a musician. It, you know, the hit song, Happy, uh, kind of comes from the ocean in a way. And 
it's kind of interesting. That's a good place to start with kids in particular because they know him. Uh, they know his style. They know he's cool. They know the songs. And then you say, wow. And, you know, he, he says he owes that career to uh, going to, to the edge of the water and listening. And so I think that's a, a real simple application. Uh, educate the educators to bring on board some, some neuropsychology, uh, some Blue Mind 101 to how they interact with their students and then send them out. Uh, so we're going to be doing that a lot in 2016, uh, doing workshops around the country in um, various regions um, with educators, and in particular the educators who educate educators. <laughs> As a scaling effect, that's really useful when you're trying to reach everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And James, how about you? It sounds like you've gotten the, the diving bug and you're learning more and diving into more. What are you working on now? Well, realizing that even though I think people should do this, they probably aren't going to free dive with sperm whales anytime <laughs> soon. We're um, right now trying to capture these experiences in full-on virtual reality 360. Um, that's what one of the researchers was doing out in Mauritius. And um, we've got a documentary that's, that's coming around. And basically, it's, it's more education through these, these mediums. Um, we want to take people into this world and, you know, most importantly, not only show them about their human connection to the ocean, but also about these incredible animals, which just have not been studied up close before. Uh, these guys are really the first to do it. And, you know, once you have that experience, it's, it's funny. It's uh, so many people who have uh, gone diving with sperm whales say, you know, it's like a near-death experience. There's my life before that experience and my life after that. And um, it, it it really is that way. And so we want to capture that in, in a way that's, that's very accessible for people to both understand and experience. And we feel that that, that route will be the best way of doing it. So we're going to be documenting in 360 all of these communication experiments that we're going to be doing in the next two years, essentially trying to um, capture these communication clicks, process them, and then send them back to the animals. Amazing. I can't wait to see that. I know that's one of the amazing things about um, media and the different cameras we have now. There's so many ways we can bring the ocean to people on land and have an experience, even if it's just on a wall. Um, I find it has a sim similar effect. It may not be the smell and the touch, but it does have a very amazing visual effect. I guess my last question for you both is, what does the ocean tell us about ourselves? Well, I'll, I'll take that. that yeah, I think we know that. I think this, our silence uh, in the wake of that question says a lot. But, um, I, you know, I, for, for each of us, I think it's a, an opportunity to, to go deeper, as uh, uh, I think our, our books imply. Uh, and for each of us, it's going to be kind of a different thing. Um, I think that there's a long list of, of cognitive, emotional, psychological, social, and even spiritual benefits that healthy oceans provide. And I guess my hope is that uh, each of us will figure out what those are, uh, admit that they are as real as anything, that they have a physical and chemical signature, um, that they're not imagined, that they're significant and worthy of protection alongside uh, all the other services, ecosystem services and diversity that the ocean gives us. And that that broadens out um, our, our relationship with, with our waterways. 
Um, and that's a very personal journey for each person, for each of us. We'll have a slightly different answer to that question, whether it's you know, the three of us on the phone here or our, our moms and dads or kids uh, around the world. So um, I guess I'd, I'd just say, you know, figure that one out. <laughs> Water, touch it, uh, get in it. And if you're so inclined, get under it. And if you're adventurous, get a little further under it and figure that one out, what, what that really does for you. And then when you're back on land, put that into play and put it, put it into motion in your life and then fight for that feeling uh, so that you can always go back and safely uh, access the water. Yeah. Thank you. How about you, James? Um, I think it's, to me, it's always reminded me of uh, how much uh, we, we've forgotten, um, both about ourselves and about our connection to the ocean. Um, and that's something that very much became apparent in the last couple of years in which I was writing deep is um, all of these senses, these reflexes that are all within us, but um, you know, 99% of us will, will never feel those things or sense them. And these are extremely powerful uh, feelings that affect us emotionally, physically, psychologically, and all that. So to me, it's you know, going back in the ocean, that's, that's where we all came from. It's just a way of returning to our home, essentially. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you both for taking time today to talk with me here on Ocean Currents, and I sure hope to make it um, to the reception on August 22nd, which I'll give some details on shortly, but thanks again so much. Are there websites where people can follow you and and learn more about what you're both doing? I just put everything I'm doing on my my name, .org, LSJ, the letter J, Nichols.org, and that kind of links out to to different projects that I'm, I'm involved with. That's probably the simplest website to go to. Okay, wallacejnichols.org. Yeah. And James, how about you? M- mine is Mr. James Nestor. Um, not as though I wanted that URL, but James Nestor was taken. So it's just mrjamesnestor.com, and that's where everything I'm doing is on that site. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, and I hope you get out to the water today. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Santa Cruz Harbor right now, so getting ready to hit it. Nice. (laughs) Thanks again. Thanks again for calling in. For folks tuning in, this has been Ocean Currents, and we've been talking with Wallace J. Nichols and James Nestor, authors of two amazing books about being in near and under the water and all the amazing things that it can do for us. And I want to let you know that they are going to be here in person here in uh, Point Reyes on Saturday, August 22nd, for a benefit reception for the Sea Turtle Restoration Network. And this is at 6 p.m., There is uh, two parts of this event. There is a benefit reception where there will be some light drinks and some food. And then the book talk starts at 7.30 p.m. It's at the Dance Palace. And it does require registration and tickets. So you want to go to seaturtles.org, front slash blue mind event, Or call 415-663-8590, extension 101. And these two authors, Wallace J. Nichols and James Nestor, will be in conversation with another author, Jaimal Yogi, um, another ocean writer, ocean advocate. It's sure to be a very, very rich event talking about some wonderful things about 
the importance of this healthy ocean and and on benefiting our lives as humans beyond just the ecosystem services. Again, this is the Blue Mind, a reception, a benefit for Turtle Island Restoration Network's work to save endangered salmon, sea turtles, and other marine wildlife on Saturday, August 22nd. And there's a reception that starts at 6, book talk at 730 It's at the Dance Palace, and it requires tickets and registration. So go to seaturtles.org, Blue Mind event for more information. We're going to take a quick break. I have one or two more announcements to share with you when I come back. is a song written by my good friend Buttercup Bill, and you probably can't tell, but my voice is way in the back there in the chorus. But uh, that's the Bags of Water song, and Buttercup Bill has written a great CD of wonderful environmental education songs. You should check it out. Just Google Buttercup Bill. I love hearing from listeners, and so please feel free to email me, jennifer.stock at noaa.gov. Next month, I'll be enjoying the Labor Day holiday, getting wet myself on Catalina Island, and we'll be back in October. And in October, we'll be talking with um, Eric Wagner, who's a biologist and a scientific writer, and we'll be talking about beaked whales. Very interesting article that he just wrote about a very mysterious species. And we'll also be getting an update on the elusive or not-so-elusive El Nino that appears to be shaping up very strongly for the Eastern Pacific. So, Thank you so much for listening today to Ocean Currents. Please get out, enjoy the ocean bay or whatever body of water you can get into safely. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to Ocean Currents. This show is brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary on West Marine Community Radio KWMR. Views expressed by guests on this program may or may not be that of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and are meant to be educational in nature. To contact the show's host, Jennifer Stock, email me at jennifer.stock at noaa.gov. To learn more about Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, go to cordellbank.noaa.gov. Thanks to bensound.com for royalty-free music for the Ocean Currents podcast. For more info, visit www.bensound.com.